Rachel Needle from Talking With Tech. And I'm Chris Bouguet from Talking With Tech. We have a podcast dedicated to augmentative and alternative communication, all things related to helping kids with complex communication needs. If you have a passion for helping people with language disabilities, this is the show for you. Each episode features an interview or a roundtable discussion on a topic related to augmentative communication and helping people with language disabilities. And we're really passionate about giving practical strategies to clinicians working in the field who are working with children or adults, anything related to AAC. So you can look us up on iTunes or you can find us on Facebook. We've got a group over there or check out our website at bit.ly slash TWT podcast. Please join our community of professionals that are working to ensure that everyone can say whatever they want to say, however they want to say it. The views and opinions expressed during this show do not necessarily reflect like the, the policy or position of any affiliated workplace or employer. The views and opinions of the show do not constitute recommendations for therapy. Please, Please contact, contact a licensed SLP for individual consult on your situation. Please listen carefully. What is communication? An essential behavior of life. We have the both blessing and responsibility of trying to foster another. It's the strongest way for two people to convey information to each other. Communication is a lifeline. It's just connection with other people. Connecting people in terms of ideas, thoughts, or needs. Draws us out of ourselves, draws us into that relationship, you know, builds up our families. Without it, we'd be lost. Whatever it is that we do to express intent and achieve an impact. Communication is the ability to express your needs, wants, frustrations, and desires to anyone that you feel needs to have that information. Welcome to Speech Science episode number 102. It is the third episode of the fourth season. We are proud members of the Exceptional Podcast Network. I'm Matt Hot, joined as always down in the bluegrass state. It's been too long since we've said this. Michelle Wintering. Hi, Matt. Hi, Michelle. And hanging out in the city of brotherly love, owner of a private practice extraordinaire, Michael McLeod. What's up, buddy? Good to be back. Hey, Michael. I am missing you guys. Guys, a little trade secret. Episodes 100 and 102 were uh, recorded well, well before they aired. Uh, We are recording this on the Grammys night. And guys, are you watching the Grammys at all while we record this? Nope. I'm not, sorry. I will say that I watched the red carpet show of the Grammys, and it makes me feel like I have no idea about society anymore. I am so disconnected from pop culture that I now know what our parents felt like when we would say, hey, you should hear this really cool song called Country Grammar by a dude named Nelly. And let me do the dance for you. I now understand what my parents yeah. felt like. That's and one of the many reasons why I'm not watching. And then <laughs> your kids aren't even old enough to do that to you yet, Matt. Like your your children, not your school kids. They are. Oh my gosh! I just, guys, I just cannot take that anymore. I feel like we are getting too old. And also, uh, when we're recording this hours ago, Kobe Bryant passed away with uh, his daughter his daughter's friend and their parent on the way to a basketball game. So real, real mixed emotions on today. Yeah, that this is definitely a a major tragedy that that rocks, you know, not only the sports world, but just just the world in general. Uh, You know, this was this was a this was one of those very few athletes, one in a, a million athletes that just 
transcends the sport and is just a an, like an international role model and someone and you know he was just known for his toughness and uh you know the one the black mom yeah the one the one play that always symbolizes kobe for me was when uh another player named matt barnes tried to make him flinch by pretending to <laughs> pretending to throw the ball into his face and every other human being on earth would have flinched but he did not he just stood there and didn't even blink and uh he was just such such an incredible an incredible man, an incredible athlete, an incredible father, uh, role model, businessman. Uh, this was definitely a, like it, it's just it's like, as soon as the news broke, everything I read was this can't be true, this can't be true because no one wanted to believe it because he because he was so tough and he was untouchable. Yeah, tragic, it's tragic a news. real real roller coaster of of emotions. I will keep my thoughts brief on that one and kind of just really agree with most of what michael said but let's get into the meat of everything episode 102 episode four season four uh a lot of things are changing on the show so kind of giving you a quick rundown um we are adding a few different spots to the show so if you notice something different they're going to be the new uh stuff that we have added we're not really taking anything away we're just trying to make it a little bit better and something that has never changed in the show is how much we want to hear from you so head over to our website speechsciencepodcast.com from there you can give us a phone call or a text message 614-681-1798 you can also email us speech science podcast at gmail.com or find us on our patreon patreon.com slash speech science podcast we want you to be like stephanie stephanie sent us a text message uh, she says she's a longtime listener first time texter but this message is for michelle she's a cf at your old stomping grounds in El Paso. And she realized you were a therapist here after an amazing friend in OT. Shelly told her that you worked there. That's all in capital letters. Uh, Anyways, you are well loved and missed. Come visit, uh, the, she puts the name in there, uh, as often and as early as you can. So Michelle, you are loved even when you leave a place. Ah, well, thank you to my El Paso crew for the shout out and Stephanie, good luck. I hope your CF is going great. I'm sure you have some great supervision there because there's some great SLPs. And a new segment that we are adding, we are adding the shout outs, which is where we want you to use one of those aforementioned modes, your email, speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com, your cell phone, 614-681-1798, and tell us, are you or a colleague doing something wonderful, extraordinary? Maybe you figured out how to organize five social groups before lunch. We want to hear from you. We want to spotlight the awesomeness that is speech and language pathology and what you are doing in the schools, in private practice, in home care. Are you doing accent modification? We want to hear about it. Our first shout out, Michelle, first shout out of season four. You've got it, correct? Oh, yeah. So also make sure you hashtag those shout outs with hashtag SLP shout out. And our first one goes to, you heard her voice back on the ASHA episode, Carrie David, who is in Uganda, a speech pathologist working in Uganda to help train therapists there and um, provide services in places where it's really not accessible for kids. So shout out to Carrie David and her team at join hope speaks you can find more at joinhopespeaks.org that is pretty cool that is setting the bar high 
very high for the show. I know, that's super high. Um, but I also want to hear about the everyday SLP heroes that you work with who play on the social groups and get them in before lunch or knock out 20 triennials in a couple months or all those things that you guys do every year. I was going to say, I was just really proud last week that I managed to get a couple of IEPs done two and a half weeks early so they could, could be uh, looked at by my supervisor to make sure there were no spelling errors. So... so hashtag slp <laughs> shout out to matt hot that's right yeah there we go the other news segment before we kick off this wonderful extravaganza of a show uh is a segment that we call due process we all love due process if you work in the schools uh, our due process works a little bit differently. If you want to be anonymous, we would love it. If you don't want to be anonymous, you don't have to be. But what this is, this is your forum. The show is your show as much as it is our show. We want to hear what doesn't quite work right in your setting or in speech therapy in general. So what we want you to do is hashtag due process. And Mike, do you have our first due process of the year? I think Michelle had it, I believe. Oh, oh yeah, I got it for you right here. There we go. So um, our first due process, so you can send it in to us, hashtag SSPod, of course, but hashtag SSPod due process so that we can see your due process complaints. If you need to be on a soapbox and make a complaint about something speech pathology, we would love to hear it. And you don't even need to give your name, but Rachel Madel, Rachel Madel SLP on Instagram gave us her non-anonymous complaint is for school districts and practitioners to stop requiring prerequisites to give students access to high-tech AAC with Ooh. multiple exclamation points and positive behavior mom also on Instagram agreed with her 100%. Absolutely. There we go. No doubt about it. I, I agree. We're not always going to agree with your due process. That's the best part about this. <laughs> but I will agree that I run across too many times where someone will be like, they can't use a device until they use PECs exactly. or until they can do uh, basic ASL. I'm not going to look at them for low tech. I literally just had this conversation with someone today who uh, did you really? Oh, yeah. Oh <laughs> yeah. Who was, who, who was talking about pecs and the clip art and uh, talking about doing pecs with a, with a high functioning person with Asperger's or high functioning autism. And I was like, no way. Everyone is, everyone is still under the impression. First we were talking about the stigma of AAC and how parents think it, it will decrease verbal language. And then somehow the conversation evolved into uh, mastering pecs before moving to high tech. And I shut that that down instantly. Yep. There and there's also, I mean, we've got articles and research that is out there to show that it does not decrease their, ver oh, yeah. their chances of using verbal language. It's often the opposite. Well, let's get into the meat of the show, y'all. I am excited because on this episode, we've got a few wonderful irons in the fire. Uh, first, we're going to talk, uh, or I'm sorry, a little later in the show, we're going to talk about training social skills and is it dehumanizing? Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about ASHA nominations uh, for open positions or awards. And we're going to talk about predicting dyslexia. And Michelle, you've got a very interesting interview this week, don't you? That's right. Do you want me to describe it now? Pre-sell it, please. All right, here we go. So um, if you have been on any social media regarding speech pathology in the last week, you have definitely seen discussion of that article from the that line from that article in the Asha Leader magazine. So if you haven't opened your Asha Leader magazine, don't worry about it. We're going to talk about it. <laughs> so uh, there was a line in there that everybody's freaking out about that says a stress management technique 
was crying in your car. But we get to hear more from the actual author of this article. I'm interviewing her this week for this episode. That is awesome. So we will bring that to you. But first, let's start off with that ASHA article out of the Journal of Speech, Language, and Hearing Research. It's Predicting Dyslexia in Children with Developmental Language Disorder by Christy Alonzo, Autumn uh, McElrath, Hugh Katz, and Tiffany Hogan. I believe we actually had Tiffany Hogan on the show uh, last season, actually. Uh, basically, they examined how well kindergarten letter identification and phonological awareness predict second-grade word reading and dyslexia in children with developmental language uh, disorders and their age and grade matched peers with typical language I find this very interesting. I also stay as far away from the early ages as I can. Uh, I know you, I, I work with middle school and high school, so this stuff is well beyond me. What do you guys, what are your initial thoughts? What's the, you know, validity of this? What does it look like in, in therapy? Yeah, I, I, I was actually very shocked by the uh, the results of this, this study. Uh, I've always been a big proponent of uh, phonological awareness and based mm -hmm. on what they did, uh, they basically, they employed a logistic regression to determine how letter ID and phonological awareness predict dyslexia. And pretty much within the results, they found that phonological awareness was weakly associated with word reading across the full continuum of word reading abilities. So in terms of letter ID and phonological awareness, uh, they seem to put a much greater, the results of the study put a much greater emphasis on letter ID, letter identification, and they say it is a much more accurate predictor of uh, poor word reading and dyslexia than phonological awareness. Uh, and I would have, uh, if I had to guess before reading this, I would have I thought it was the other way around. Uh, I was always a big uh, proponent for building phonological awareness skills and uh, segmenting and blending and even rhyming and everything. Uh, but according to this study, it's, uh, it's letter ID. I, I, I want to say ditto to what you just said, Mike, because um, that was my same thought looking at this because I've, I feel like it's been trained in me to focus on phonological awareness, focus on the sound, not the letter identification. And, and this article is, is challenging that. I remember, I don't know if it was a conversation I had on this show or another podcast I was listening to. Uh, guys, I'll be honest, after doing this for three and a half years, everything is starting to blur together. That's okay, man. But I, I was, there was like a study that happened years ago that looked at reading and it said that, you know, we think of sight words as just seeing those words and knowing what they mean. But as we get older, a lot of those words, like all the words that we use end up turning into sight words. So it kind of makes sense to me on the surface, but I also don't work with this age population very well uh, that usually I'm, I'm so out of touch with teaching young kids phonological awareness and letter awareness that I'm working more with the middle school or high schoolers. And basically within well, the study, the, the, they're, they're mentioning letter ID. Uh, they're not mm -hmm. really going too much in depth to, to that. Like, is it letter sound correspondence? Is it just letter? Are they just stating what the letter is? Because uh, as we know, there's several letters that have different sounds based on where they're placed within the word and what the word is. Uh, so I would love to know more about exactly what letter ID is. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I agree with that. And then also, you know, is this becoming something that there's, there's always kind of been these two schools of thought that at least that I hear when I've been in the schools of sight words, sight words to learn to read or phonological awareness to learn to read. Right. 
And right, right, right. So maybe this is reminding us that there's not such a dichotomy. That's fair. Yeah. And I think one thing that's important for us to realize is we can easily read a research study like this and begin to kind of discount phonological awareness in our therapies. But one study is not going to completely discount everything in phonological awareness. Phonological awareness is huge for literacy, no matter, yes. no matter what one study says. And has uh, been and hugely researched as well. Exactly. And it's one of the most uh, interactive and energetic therapies you can do with kids. You can get them you know, standing up and jumping for syllables and coming up with rhymes and writing like little freestyle raps or whatever it may be. It's very True. fun and, ener and energetic for the kids. It's one of, the, it's one of my favorite things to do, uh, literacy-based. Uh, but obviously, you know, we, we can put a little bit more focus on the, the letter sound correspondence or the letter ID focus. But for them to be able to segment sounds and segment letters and segment syllables, uh, that's, you know, one study is not going to discount all of that. Uh, the limitations uh, noted by the authors, it does state that the data was... Uh, was collected more than two decades ago, so the word reading assessments may not reflect current norms and instructional standards. They also pulled data from a past study which was not conduct conducted to determine why uh, this was a more accurate predictor than phonological awareness, uh, so future work will need to be addressed in that area. But we want to hear from you, so head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com. Uh, from there, you can email us, speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. You can give us a phone call, 614-681-1798. Or you can text message us the same number, 614-681-1798. And all over the social medias, hashtag SSPod. Our big story of the day, I would love to dig into this as much as we can. This is coming from slpndc.org. It's the Neurodiversity Collective. Mike, I believe you threw this up there in our group chat, but training social skills uh, is dehumanizing. Uh, the title got me right away. You know, I've never really thought about my social groups being looking more and more ABA sometimes. And, and I, you know, this caused me to have some self-reflection. Yep, I think this is a beautifully, beautifully written article by uh, Julie Roberts, SLP. Uh, I have been a big proponent for this with all of the SLPs that I've worked with and CFs that I've trained and everything. Uh, your typical social skills class, uh, they do tend to be very ABA-based. Uh, and there's mm -hmm. really so much to it in terms of uh, the back and forth conversation and the initiation of the conversation. Uh, I, I think what it truly takes uh, for SLPs to truly grasp, uh, grasp this is to just, you know, take one day a week and observe typically developing peers socializing. And you're going to see them making fun of each other, roasting each other, climbing on top of each other, messing with each other, saying things that uh, an adult would deem as inappropriate but it goes in one ear, out the other as a kid. You know, this is, this is how kids learn through trial and error, making mistakes, uh, and, and, having, uh, and, and having these, these fun little backs and forth and talking about memes and talking about video games and changing topics and these sorts of things. You know, uh, the best social groups I've had is when the kids are just like exhausted at the end, they're playing with each other, they're messing with each, with, with each other, they're playing sports, they're, you know, roasting each other a bit, they're climbing on top of each other. It's not sitting at a desk and, and following all these prompts and all these things. Uh, what I've always taught my clinicians is the number one thing you want to have in your mind, the, the, the number one skill that everyone seems to forget for social skills training 
is perspective taking. You always have to remember, does this child have the ability, the theory of mind to put themselves in someone else's shoes? Are they thinking about someone else's thinking? Are they thinking, how does this person interpret me? How do they interpret what I'm saying, my body language, all of these things. So when we can teach a child to use their internal voice, their internal language, their internal coach, whatever you want to call it, and they're kind of talking themselves through a situation and wondering how others are interpreting them, and they learn from their previous mistakes, that is the true success of a social group. It's not getting them to go around and say hi to every single person and respond to every single thing that's said to them or being appropriate in an, in an adult's version. Mm -hmm. uh, it's really just getting them to think about other people's feelings, other people's thoughts and feelings, and making sure that, that that's in their mind and they're able to develop true friendships. So the vast majority of social groups out there do tend to be ABA based by people that hate ABA and you know your typical SLP that is anti-ABA and uh, I think the more lax we can get and just let these kids be kids and let them act like typically developing peers meet with them one-on-one -on -one, train them one-on-one -on -one, set them up in the group and then and then watch them focus on what you talked about one-on-one -on -one. Uh, and you know some people even have the freedom to record them and then go over the recording one-on-one. -on -one. You know, it depends on the setting, of course, and the regulations. But uh, there's a lot that can be changed in terms of social groups. And the number one skill, it's, I see it all the time in executive functioning and ADHD, the number one skill is perspective taking. That should be the number one skill that SLPs look at in social groups. So, Mike, I was going to jump in and, and ask you, because you said a couple times, and I, I want to make sure I understand it too. Um, when you say they're ABA based or they look like ABA, what do you mean? Uh, constant prompting, constant prompting and constant, like, uh, like instant, uh, feedback, like, uh, like, uh, very quickly, uh, Oh, this person said this to you. What's your response to that? But meanwhile, the kid might be, you know, doing something else with another peer in the group. Uh, it's just constant, uh, adult involvement and constant that positive reinforcement or cueing, Constant cueing, constant reinforcement, constant prompting. Uh, I think we kind of like we kind of need to let these kids just learn through trial and error, and then you meet with them later on, one on one, and go through like, "Hey, I saw you doing this. How do you think that made Stephen feel? How'd that make John mm -hmm. feel when you did Ooh. this?" So and your you model it. is like allow that conversation. I like this idea. Exactly. Um, yes. Allow that conversation and those natural, more natural interactions to happen, and allow them to like we tell a lot of parents let the kid fail in some ways <laughs> yeah. exactly um, in a social exactly. setting and then you follow up with it one-on-one -on -one or small group with them absolutely the less adult interaction the less adult involvement uh when i do my social groups i stand back i let them interact and of course unless unless the kids are physically fighting or one kid is crying or you know it's getting completely inappropriate to the point where i have to intervene then i'll intervene but besides that, I'll let, you know, I'll let the kids be kids, let them interact. And I take notes and I observe, I take mental notes and, and I'll, I'll write some things out and then I'll go over it with them one-on-one -on -one to kind of, uh, to kind of describe what I saw. And, uh, and then you can ask those perspective taking questions. You know, how did this make this person feel? How did this make this person feel? What was going through your mind when you did that next time? Let's try this. Uh, and you can even, you know, if it's getting serious, you can even develop like a, like a nonverbal signal that you can kind of send to the kid, like, "Hey, I'm watching you. Like, I I saw you make that same mistake again." Uh, but the 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 you want the prompting and the cueing to be minimal because you want them to learn through experience. Because as we know, 
uh, free play, trial and error play is the most important thing for a kid, period. You know, this is why preschools are set up the way they are. Kids need to be able to play and learn from play. That is the most important thing. Or we should say why preschools should be set up. Exactly. Yes. 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 (laughs) I, uh, had, you know, we're, what I do in some of my social skills groups is I'll present a question and then the, the group will kind of try to answer the question and then they'll, you know, I'll try I don't want to say I'm shaping answers, but if a student gets too mean with their answer, I might say, Hey, how can you reword that? So it doesn't offend somebody else exactly. or, you know, offensive versus defensive language. And the, the one student had an idea of what they wanted to wear and another student said, well, if you wear that, people might laugh at you. And it was a very natural progression for both students try to hashing out what would be appropriate and what would not be appropriate. And that was awesome to watch. Mm-hmm. And all I had to do as a therapist was say, hey, don't attack the student, but offer a suggestion instead. And for the other student it was saying, hey, that student's not attacking you. They're trying to help you. How could what could you say if someone offers you advice you don't agree with? It was a wonderful moment in therapy. That's great. That's huge. That is absolutely huge. Anytime a kid can learn from another kid and really use that, uh, you know, that internal language and uh, to create that image in their mind of what may happen in the future if this happened with a peer, uh, I think that's huge. So anytime that we're teaching them to kind of think things through, project themselves into the future, picture themselves in a social situation, uh, picture themselves trying new things, succeeding, failing, whatever it may be. Uh, anytime we can, anytime we can have them kind of predetermine something uh, is, mm-hmm. is definitely a, a victory in terms of cognitive thought of, uh, in the social realm. Well, and I, uh, going back to this article, I think, because we've, we've obviously expanded on it, but um, the examples they give of, of ableist objectives. So mm-hmm. when we take, this idea that we are treating autism itself, not, um, you know, coaching the kid, as you use the term, Mike, um, teaching quiet hands and whole body listening. Those are both terms I know I've definitely heard in various settings yep. that I've worked. Um, teaching. I think I've even used that before. Yeah. I mean, I know I, because we hear it all the time. I mean, I, I'm sure mm-hmm. I have too. Um, extinguishing <laughs> perceived neurodivide, neurodivergent social deficits, uh, teaching social scripting that encourages masking. So, um, you know, covering who they are, like over-rehearsed role play. Oh, I didn't understand that. I'm glad you said that. Yeah. So yep. like they're, they're not being themselves. Right. So I kind of looked at that too, that list. And of course there's things that stand out that I've done in the past and I've learned from, but things that I could still get better at now. And, um, and I also was thinking the perspective taking piece that you mentioned, Mike. So mm-hmm. two things, one would teaching, perspective taking from the idea of code switching which we've talked about before um would that be appropriate and then yeah yeah secondly so knowing like when when it's appropriate to do the teasing the roasting conversation and when it's just like all of us have to learn um and when is appropriate to take a more mannered scripted approach to communication like an interview or speaking with the principal or you know something that's much more formal um and then also have you heard of a speech pathologist that i um she actually works where i used to work kiva reynolds and she had introduced me i don't know a whole lot about it but i liked this scale they that she's been using with some of her kids called from the social thinking curriculum 
where have you guys heard of that yeah michelle garcia winner yeah yes yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so but I, I i like that it ties right in with what you're talking about mike of um it, it asked the question of, you know, on this scale, how do you think that made them feel? Did that make them have some strange thoughts? Did that make them uh, think differently about you? That kind of thing. So it's a reflective question, not just a say this, respond with this. Can you link that or can we put that as a link? You think does that I, to that scale somewhere? Um, the scale, I don't know, but to the, the book info. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That'd be awesome because one, I would love to use it, and two, I'm sure if I'm thinking, oh, I could probably use that in therapy. Someone out there has got to be thinking about that in therapy. My only concern, and and maybe this is just me needing to learn, and and I, I realize that as a therapist, I have very, I have a lot of like ableist thoughts that I have to improve on. But the only question I right, and, and the only question I've got is where it says, uh, you know, an, an example of an ableist objective is social skills goals that focus on making the client appear indistinguishable from their neurotypical peers. My only counter thought to that, and, and maybe I'm reading too much into this and maybe I'm being defensive, I'm not sure, is that I think working with middle school and high school kids, we have to teach them how to kind of blend into the crowd so that they can understand. And maybe that's part of that perspective taking instead, but and I try to teach, I think, yeah, I think I try to teach my kids how to blend into the crowd and then choose when they want to stand out. So if you want to wear the eighties bangles and tease your hair up to the sky because you love the look that your mom had in her photos, go for it. But know that the typical person's going to wear very muted colors and hair that is very down. If you want to walk around and talk about in movie cliches, go for it. But also know that that's not what the cool kids do. And I, and I guess that's my only part that I have trouble with. And maybe it's, maybe there are actually therapists out there that tell kids never to do that stuff where I tried to just, help the kids understand that like if you do it here is the repercussion but go for it you do you exactly and, and, that's, and that's exactly my only concern with that that's exactly what you should be doing that's exactly oh, really? what it is this oh, whole this sweet. whole this whole indistinguishable blend in stuff yeah. you know that's 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 such simple terms you know mm -hmm. what we're what we really need to do is teach these kids to be empathetic and teach them to oh, care okay. about their That's fears that. and be social. It's, uh, you know, it's, there's, there's so many, this is always a double-edged sword, always. There's always so many different parts to it. Uh, you know, we want these kids to recognize what they're sending with their language and their facial expressions and their body language and how they're making others feel in social contexts because eventually there will be a time where hopefully they're at a job and 99% of jobs require you to work in a team so you do need to have some communication skills in, in, within that realm. True. But, but in terms of them standing out, doing this, doing that, you know, we really just want them to, to be able to think to themselves in terms of what, what am I doing and how is it making others feel and what can I do to improve the lives of others when I'm interacting with them. It's, it's really just, you know, just thinking about other people's thinking. And, and when, when they have that skill, 
that is far more important than the ability to have a specific a specific amount of circles of communication. How many times have we seen that goal where so and so will have fifteen circles of communication on one topic uh, for this much for this many minutes? You know, is, is that really so important to the point where they're uh, they're able to uh, correctly identify someone else's thoughts based on one of their behaviors. You know, that's, there's there's so many things to it. And then a whole nother thing that so many of us d- deal with and may not even uh, recognize or may not want to admit is uh, how often are we pushing kids into social groups that are true textbook introverts? Yes. How, how often are we doing that? How often are we putting kids in social groups that truly do not get pleasure and truly have zero interest in sharing things with peers and gaining friends and doing these sorts of things you know and that's you know there's there there are benefits to being an introvert and you can't you can't say oh an introvert's bad and extrovert's good uh how many times are we pushing these social groups on kids that enjoy being on their own okay what about take a kid who is introverted finding a good pair you know looking at your caseload and instead mm-hmm. of doing a social group of seven kids, take a couple kids who would benefit from more of a peer-to-peer interaction, and maybe you would get a little more from them. I am working really hard in my district to try to explain the difference between social skills and pragmatic language skills. And a lot of what I'm trying to explain to the teachers, and this is just my own definition, so if there's a better definition, please correct me, but like, The way that I'm explaining to teachers is that social skills, we all have that a moment where we no longer are able to use social skills. We talk on air. We have 2,000 listeners. We're able to talk to them. But if you put me on stage and ask me to talk to 90 people at one time, I'm going to lose some of my social skills. Introverts, they have social skills that that they employ with certain people. They're not going to use it to give a presentation. They may not use it to give a presentation in the middle of class. Just because you lack social skills or lack the performance part of a social skill, that does not necessarily mean you need the pragmatic or you need the pragmatic language uh, specifically designed instruction from an SLP. The pragmatic language is what I'm trying to tell teachers is across the board, the students are struggling. So it doesn't matter if they are talking to their parent or their best friend. They're always the same flat affect. They are always interrupting or not turn-taking. So I love both of your ideas of taking the kid that maybe has the pragmatic issues and also an introvert and putting them into a smaller group and then also making sure that we're not over-diagnosing. Mm-hmm. Well, and I also over-therapatizing, think I guess what what you're describing, Matt, like defining these two definitions of social skills versus pragmatic skills, mm-hmm. is is even harder because you look at yes, I, I don't know if you see that, but I see the code for it, it says social pragmatics disorder. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I don't th- I think a lot of SLPs are using those terms differently. Oh, hundred percent agreed. Definitely, hundred percent. I will leave on this and maybe Mike, you'll be proud of me. The goal that I have been, I don't want to say it's my go-to goal because every goal is unique, but the idea behind a lot of my goals this year uh, with the middle school kids has been to identify the purpose of a communication intent. And my thought process behind that is if somebody comes up to you and starts a conversation, I want my students to understand why they're doing that. Is it, they're trying to be nice. They're trying to invite you out. 
are they trying to be mean and make fun of you? And and ultimately the idea would be, hey, if you go to buy a car in 10 years, why are they not telling you how many miles is on the car? Why is this job not telling you the exact details of what you'll be doing? And that's kind of been my overall goals this year for for my IEP pragmatic kids. Yeah, that's a big one. That's definitely uh, <laughs> that's definitely a very very large goal, and that in in and of itself is perspective taking. What you just described is a perspective taking goal, um, and I think you can definitely find some creative ways to bring in some self worth and Trying some self confidence into that. Like, why is this person talking to you? Oh, because you're a you're a fun, interesting guy, and oh, and and, and, and you kind of uh, you kind of give off that vibe, and people want to be around you, and people want to talk to you. So let's. Let's practice these skills so that when you are in these social contexts, we could uh, we can make sure that these these conversations go well and you develop some positive relationships from it. We want to hear from you at home. What are you doing in the social realm? Are you working hard to become a uh, ableist, or are you doing your best to do a good social theory? I apologize. My oldest just came in here and tapped me on the shoulder. I was trying to read that. But we want to hear from you. Head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com. That's from some there, good you social can... skills from him. He right. Yeah, he, he did not interrupt. He did a great job. Uh, we want to hear from you as well. Text message 614-681-1798. Michelle, coming up after the break, it's your interview. Who is it? What is it? And why should we listen? <laughs> the interview is with the author of the Ashley lead article that got a lot of buzz in social media this past week and um, her name is carrie knitson so please don't be crying in your car when you're listening to this right exactly yeah I think, i'm excited i think for this, you're actually. really going to enjoy hearing this so i hope you tune in and listen to it you're listening to speech science hi i'm mailing chan and i'm martin sibley and we are the hosts of the Exceptional Leaders Podcast, where we spotlight high-profile topics and amazing people who are changing the worldview on disability. Even though we are oceans apart, we are bringing people from all over the world together to discuss inclusion, advocacy, accessibility, and real-life journeys. So listen to the Exceptional Leaders Podcast to hear the voices and stories from amazing changemakers and be inspired to make a real difference in the world. This is the story of a very special woman. Just a few knew about her superpowers. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. You may not know her name, but you've probably heard of that Asha Leader article that everybody's talking about right now. You know the one with the one line in there about crying in your car. Well, Carrie and I had a really great discussion off air about it, and I'd really like you to all hear from her. So I'll throw it to you, Carrie, if you can introduce yourself. And we can jump right in and let us know what do you want ASHA members and listeners to know about that article. Hi, everyone. This is Carrie Knudsen. I'm talking to you from Denver, Colorado. I am a therapist, and currently I work in a school. I also own my own company called Knudsen Speaks, where I take things like psychology and take it off the couch and take uh, ideas in psychology and bring them to people in an accessible way. 
uh, the thing I'd want ASHA to know about, ASHA members to know about my article is this. Uh, in the editing process, it lost uh, a lot of its meaning. And uh, if I read the article the way it was printed, I would feel the exact same way. Uh, the list seemed trite and um, kind of like a random list of things to do that doesn't really address self-care. Um, also, the article is meant to be about emotional intelligence, and it's funny that that one line about self-regulation stole the show. Mm -hmm. So I like to apologize for the misunderstanding and say that um, I have a chance to tell you what I really had hoped um, to say when I originally submitted the article and how it got edited were two different things. So I'd like the opportunity to talk about it today. Yeah, and um, I'm, I'm looking at the article now, too, because I'm sure there are some listeners who haven't heard about it. And so Carrie had an article in the Ashley Leader titled, What's EQ Got to Do With It Anyway? So cultivating your emotional intelligence to live up to your full potential in the schools and to find out more personal find more personal and professional joy. And I think what a lot of people got stuck on that seemed to stand out and then be shared around social media was what you just mentioned, this uh, truncated list about um, stress management techniques, which uh, included, let's see, breathing, exercises, stress balls, bubble baths, talking to a friend, aromatherapy, journaling, and crying in your car. So um, <laughs> as we jumped in, uh, please go ahead, Carrie. But I know you and I had just a really good conversation about some of those things and how they can be beneficial, but <laughs> go ahead. Sure. Well, in the article, um, the, there's five parts of EQ, um, emotional self-awareness, and then self-regulation, motivation, empathy, and relationship skills. So the part in question was self-regulation. And in self-regulation, I like to talk about there, we all have stress and we all have emotions. How do you regulate those? Uh, one way is exercise. Another way is relaxation, um, just finding ways to disconnect. And relaxation does not equal sleep. Uh, it's two different things. Um, and then That's a good distinction. That's a good distinction. Oh, well, I was saying... <laughs> I always say sleep is a bodily function and relaxation is a choice. You have to make a choice to relax. And then the next uh, little area or um, area was under um, how you manage your emotions. Um, and then the fourth one was your mind, how you use your mind. So I'll address the third one, which is how you manage your emotions. So the funny thing about how the list came off is to me is I have a talk called self-care beyond the bubble bath. because uh, I like that I, name. <laughs> we have to move past outdated things of like, oh, Calgon, take me away. Just take a bubble bath. So the way the list was written made it seem like the opposite of everything I say. Because for me, if people say, take a bath, um, light a candle. For me, candles are fire hazards. Like, I don't know. I never fully relax around candles. And um, I personally, I share my bath with two cats, two children, and five guinea pigs. So you never know what's been going on in the bathtub, and I have to clean it before I take a bath. Anyway, so it's not really for me. That's and um, not your choice of stress relief. And I, I think I'd mentioned to you yesterday, but I'll, I'll share with everybody. I, I'm the same way of keeping one eye opened if I have a candle lit. That's not relaxing for me. And I partially blame my dad. I hope he listens to this because he, uh, he jokingly, he's a retired firefighter, would call um, candles because he'd seen so many house fires start from unattended candles, um, job security. And I would just roll my eyes at him and he'd walk out of the room. But, um, but not, not relaxing for me either. So I feel you. Yes. Well, and that's why some people, it is for some people too, like lighting a candle, taking a bath. I don't want to demean that either because for some people it is great. Um, also, the, the idea that I like to talk about in most of my talks is how we can take self-care beyond these, these moments. So a candle might feel good in the moment, but what are you doing at a deeper level to help mitigate your stress? Um, also crying in your car, that can feel cathartic. And a lot of people do cry in their car. Um, 
and have moments of that where it does feel like a release and it's cathartic. But what I say, if that's your only thing, then maybe there's opportunity to look into more ways to practice meaningful self-care that have longer lasting impact and really address why you're stressed out in the first place. Um, so the, like I said, the list came off as trite and and random. And what I really mm -hmm. try to talk about is things that are deeper and more meaningful. And also, especially how um, when you think about self-care, it has to be what works for you, not what you think should work for you. And also what works in different circumstances. We can't always practice self-care in the same way. Like also we don't have the financial resources sometimes to practice self-care. To me, like if it was like, get a massage, I'm like, give me $90 then. Because yep. Plus I can fund my massage <laughs> habit, right? Um, and sometimes I simply don't have time um, to meditate. or And so I have to, we have to think about self-care in our real lives, on a real budget, with our real feelings. And that was the end. The article was never intended to go that deep. Um, that was a small snippet on self-regulation. But it's obvious by the response from ASHA members that self-care is a huge topic that um, deserves more critical analysis and more thoughtful analysis. And I think it's a great area of opportunity uh, for your members to be able to talk about. And I was just, you know, genuinely very appreciative that you responded to us when we contacted you and were willing to come on and have this discussion because even though I know that it's, it's probably been a stressful week for you too with this response to, um, to one line in your article, it is such an important topic. And it obviously struck a nerve with our field, with speech pathologists and audiologists to say, hey, wait a second, either I have sat in my, and cried in my car and it didn't help, or, <laughs> um, or you know, I need to go beyond this, or what, I, you know, what is it in that, that small paragraph, that small list that just really hit a nerve, right? Yeah, well, that's why I had to laugh because nobody talked about EQ at all in their responses to me. It's like nobody really cared. But everyone oh, none of your none of your emails said emotional intelligence. <laughs> yeah, but what I found interesting is though people had a real visceral response to it, and I appreciate that. If I read it I, the way it was printed, I would feel the exact same way. And you know, I really have to say I appreciate people's. Um, responses, especially the ones that didn't attack me personally, but were more thoughtful about how we can address this topic in a meaningful way, um, and what ASHA particularly could do to advocate for people in the field around work hours, caseloads, um, like, and how that advocacy could look for your particular industry. So I appreciated that people really had feelings about this and wanted to discuss it. So that's why, again, I'm glad to, happy to be on your show, because I think there's real opportunity. Um, also, I wanted to make sure because I felt like it's so against everything I stand for <laughs> to just leave, to leave it like that. And a lot of people mm -hmm. who said, hey, I heard you speak. I know that you care about us. I know that you respect our profession. Um, and I do deeply. And that's why um, I work with SLPs all the time as a, as a counselor. And I went to Gallaudet and I um, enjoy that community a lot. And I appreciate the, the complexity of the work you do, not only with clients that you serve, but with families, then schools, then other providers, and helping people know what you do. Um, and also it's the self-care that comes along with such a stressful job. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'm guessing you also see in, there's a lot of parallels between counseling and speech pathology with that one-on-one mm -hmm. -on -one treatment model, um, small groups, and really helping people through what can be really challenging diagnoses or times in their life. And do you see this emotional intelligence kind of to move on to more what, what you do? Um, what, what's the biggest takeaway? What's been the best for you working in a school and, and having this specialty, but also applying it to your own life? 
So I think in terms of that, for me, the idea about emotional intelligence, the cornerstone of it is self-awareness and self-awareness has a couple parts to it, but it's really like, how do I think about the thoughts that I have in my own head? How, what am I telling myself? Like sometimes we say things to ourselves. We never say to anybody else. We criticize ourselves. We hurt ourselves. We, and we think that criticisms will make us better. But I always say, um, if criticism worked, we'd all be giants. We could all be amazed if we say, oh, you suck. I'll, I'll get better. Thanks so much, self-talk. Um, I feel like it's not a path, um, but empathy, support, and love, and respect for ourselves are. But you have to start with how you're talking to yourself, what you say to yourself, how you show up for yourself. And so that awareness piece to me is the cornerstone. And EQ is all about making the unconscious conscious. So how you show up to yourself includes how you show up with your clients and then with their families also you know sometimes I get as a therapist especially because I work in a school people say it must be fun to play with kids all day do you enjoy your summers off we, we get that uh, too right yeah and I keep thinking like part of me showing up I'm passionate about my field and I know what it's about I know the impact it makes and for me EQ is recognizing my own worth and value and the things I want to do and showing up with respect for my own profession so that people can in turn respect me, but not waiting for them to love me first, like going out what I call this in my, in my um, stuff, getting big. Um, and I, I have the image of a peacock with all its feathers out. And I say, when you get big from service, not from ego, there's great power in that because all of us have something to share and EQ is about getting in touch with your innate gifts. Like, why are you in the field you're in? One thing is to serve people, but how you serve people is uniquely you. Like two speech therapists can engage with a client for the same reason in two totally different ways because of the innate gifts that they have. And EQ is about, do you have self-awareness to know who you are and why you're showing up and what you're saying to yourself? Do you have self-regulation to deal with the emotions that you have and the stress? And do you have positive ways of handling that because it's going to happen? then what are you actually motivated for in your life um, from an internal place, not an external reward? Then empathy is the next thing. And, and how do you have empathy for other people, but especially yourself, so that you can continue to give empathy? A lot of times, again, we're harder on ourselves than anyone else. But empathy for yourself means put yourself in your own shoes. Realize what you've survived. Also realize when you've done the best you can with something and it still gets messed up, right? What's your intention? And then the mm -hmm. last part of EQ is relationship skills. And that lets, how that shows up for me is, I believe we are in relationship with everyone. People we know, people we don't know, people we like, and especially people we don't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because we, people we like and people we know, it's easy. But people we don't know, sometimes we act like we're not in relationships with people we don't know, but really people we don't know affect us all the time. We're in relationship with people like who, we've either had a stranger make our day awesome or awful, you know, by a comment mm -hmm. or or a look or even a gesture, you know, driving in your car when people have their certain gestures that they like to use or whatever. Or, or when they don't wave after oh, they um, cut you off. Like just the wave makes me feel better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A little simple, right? We're connecting all the time. And the reason I say two people we don't like is because sometimes we're thinking about people we don't like and we wish they would change. <laughs> we wish they would, we want them to be a different way. And so I always think about like all those five pillars of EQ to me are how I want to show up and how I get big because I'm aware of who I am in the world and I'm, I know how to regulate my emotions. I know what I'm motivated for. I have empathy for myself and I realize I'm in a relationship with everyone because I, that last part about relationship is to me, no person's job has any other value any better value than another job. It just has a different function. So I like to see is what if every job had the same value? 
but just a different function. Because I know, like, I want someone to teach my kids. I'm cut my hair and deliver my produce and pave my roads and make sure the lights go on and um, trim the trees and create the parks and fill the mm -hmm. libraries. Like, I want every job uh, to me has very the exact same value and that's why i like to look at people even if our jobs have different functions so that's why eq is so powerful to me because it incorporates how you want to show up in the world as your best self and again if you get big from service not from ego and have some courage around that it's so empowering um and that's why my even my logo i changed it to a peacock because and i have in my sessions a lot of people like raise their arms up in the air and be like we're gonna get big um and i think it's such a good empowering symbol to think about the what eq can do for you if you understand it mm -hmm. um, so that's that, my that self-awareness self and self-reflection and uh, thinking about our thinking right the metacognition part <laughs> yes totally thinking about our thinking exactly and how powerful your own thoughts can be and, and how they influence you. Um, mm -hmm. And it's not like the, remember the Saturday Night Live, like I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like me. People um, like me, yes. <laughs> it, it's not quite that um, simple, but it is to me recognizing your thoughts and thinking like, am I, what choice am I making about what to say to myself? And I often say, if you have nothing nice to say to yourself, don't say anything at all. Like just say what is. And I use this example quite a bit. Um, because we all do it. How many of us walk in front of a mirror and like smile and be like, yeah, looking good today. Like <laughs> most of us see the mirror as a mortal enemy. Like, and, and the first thing that comes out of our mouth is a criticism, right? Or out mm -hmm. of our mind's mouth. And so I encourage people, what would it be like to just hold your own gaze in the mirror for a moment and just say what is, which is, oh, there I am. <laughs> Like, what would it be like to not criticize yourself just for a moment? Because um, I think that's a really easy way to see how much weight we take on with our self-talk. Um, and it's hard when the world itself is it's hard enough sometimes to handle the criticism, let alone our own um, self-criticism creeping in there. Um, it just creates a heaviness. And EQ is also not around being like, just think positive. It's everything's fine. Like, Mm -hmm. EQ is about acknowledging every emotion as, as valuable. And that's why self-regulation is so important because when you think about self-regulation, let's say you have, sometimes we tend to categorize emotions as good or bad, like happiness is good and anger is bad. Like most of us would say that. And I often think, well, has anger ever helped you in your life? If you've ever been angry, has it ever helped you set a boundary? Has it ever have a conversation that changed something for you? Has it gotten you out of danger? Has, have you been angry for a good reason? <laughs> like, could we say thank you, anger? <laughs> because, because sometimes when we, play, when we do that, when we have this dualistic idea of like good, bad of emotions, we lose out on the opportunity. Um, the same with sad. Sometimes we, we definitely feel sad about something and holding space for that emotion to be like, right now, I'm sad and I want to feel all the feelings of sadness because you know what maybe something sad just happened to me mm -hmm. and I have I have permission I call it what I call it in our society is a cult of positivity like don't worry be happy and and <laughs> it's gonna be okay just think positive read your positive quote and sometimes I'm like I don't want to read my positive quote right now <laughs> I want to I want to what I say is it's okay not to be okay sometimes mm -hmm. and that's part of self-regulation to recognizing that we get to be sad angry, frustrated, overwhelmed, embarrassed. Um, we get to make mistakes. And that's also part of having empathy for yourself because um, you're human and I'm human and we all go through these experiences. And that's, I think, tapping into EQ can be so powerful um, 
because when you know this about yourself, you're not just on autopilot, you can really access your own power. Mm-hmm. And instead of your emotions driving you, um, and you trying to mitigate them in strange ways, like I always say, like eating fridge out of eating, eating cake out of the fridge is one way to, to think about dealing with your emotions. We've all done that too. And like, this cake feels really good right now, but it's probably not addressing the true symptom, you know, or we come home after work and we're like, why is this house a mess and no one ever makes dinner and you're mad at the dog just for being alive. And you're like, yeah. what I have another thing to do? So instead of being driven by our emotions that way, EQ asks us to really like, let's get in touch with those. And self-regulation says, let's find some ways to, to mitigate that in positive ways. And then self-care says, let's do it in a way that feels meaningful for the long term and feels right for you on your budget in your real life. And I like how you said individual too, because as therapists, we do individual education plans. We do individual treatment plans. We do individual, you know, we individualize for all of our patients, but using just what you've talked about, that EQ piece of, do we do that for ourselves? Yeah, I love that tie-in because everyone knows IEP, baby. Oh yeah, (laughs) individual, 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 but my needs are different than the SLP down the hall for me. Yes, and I think that's the biggest piece that you need to recognize because we all can tolerate different levels of stress or emotion in different ways. And sometimes we judge ourselves like, wow, that person seems to be handling the stress better than me, or I'm so, I'm more emotional. Why can't I be like so-and-so? Or um, also to me, sometimes the way we should self-regulate, like to me, like I need to think about my own ways that work for me, not ways that work for other people and pretend like those ways work. Like to me, I have some friends that like, you know, they really like, to go to a spin class and they love their spin class and they always want me to go and I've tried spin class and I love, I do enjoy it for the moment, but that's not my like the, the little turn knob thing and the way everyone's clipping in it. Like it creates a little bit more stress than I'm mitigating just to like <laughs> figure that out. But, but I could swim like going swimming for me is really peaceful. And so like finding the exercise that works and the other self-care practices that work for me and acknowledging like everyone else likes this, but I don't or, and saying, well, this is because this works for me and it doesn't work for you. And, and, and you get your self care and I get mine and it's all okay. No judgment. Yeah. Have you, um, you probably know more than I do, but I'd, when you thought of, let me backtrack (laughs) when you were explaining, not labeling emotions and responses to things as good or bad, like anger and sadness, uh, that resonated with me because I know that's something when I've worked with either, um, middle school or even younger um, and high schoolers that they have this idea that if I'm angry, I'm, I'm, I'm in trouble. Or if I'm sad, I'm in trouble because I'm not in that mm. zone to learn. But an OT I worked with had taught me about the zones of regulation and I've been trying to learn a little bit more about that. And it was one where they color coded it so that green was the ideal zone for working in school, like being ready to work, but it's okay if you're sick and tired, then you're falling in the blue and teaching strategies to move from one to the other if you need to. And that even acknowledging that me as a therapist or an adult in the room or a teacher can also end up in the red zone, but sometimes red zone's good if you're playing a football game and you need to channel that anger or you need to kind of find ways to ease back out of it when you're done with that football game. Yes. And I love zones of regulation is great because it helps you name like emotions can be on a continuum instead of the dualistic idea of a good column and a bad column. Mm -hmm. And it also recognizes the power of different emotions. Like we, you know, emotions come and go and they, we weren't like, if you were mad about something yesterday, you probably don't have the same level of anger about it today. 
also things that were really sad um, sometimes get funnier with time. Like most of us have stories in our lives that at one moment we had something that was sad and then later with time and reflection, it like becomes a hilarious story. story. Yeah. yeah like I would say the fact that my wedding dress wasn't ready the day of my wedding was not funny until about 10 years later, but now we laugh really hard about it. Like, yeah. like there's some thing and, and we can see too, emotions is fluid, our stories is fluid and we don't have to attach so much meaning to like, I'm sad and that's not okay, or I shouldn't be. And having the the idea of, I, I always say, feelings just are. They're not good, they're not bad. And if what I like to equate them to is colors. Like we would never say blue is the best color ever and green, don't even talk about it. Like mm -hmm. I don't want to hear about green. We would say we have preferences for colors, right? We like them, but no color is bad. <laughs> um, and so well, I like to think about emotions like colors and I always say feelings just are. What if they could just appear to us like colors? Like to be, to have, to have such a response to anger or fear or upset or embarrassment or overwhelm to me takes away from the opportunity to learn what that feeling is telling you. And I always say, use your emotions as an internal compass. Hey, what is this feeling telling me? And what do I need to do now because of this? Instead of like pushing it away, um, or like, I shouldn't feel that way, or the whole shouldn't, and um, also nobody will understand me, and this this feeling is not okay. Really, what I think happens is you push the feeling away, and it comes up in another way later. So like, like you're upset about something, and then let's say, you know, like you stub your toe, and you're like, oh my God, and you totally overreact to that, that because it's okay to let it out there. Mm -hmm. um, and, and sometimes our emotions get the best of us. Like we, we haven't cried about something or processed our sadness about something. And then all of a sudden, you know, our grocery cart like doesn't work and we're crying in King Supers because we're like, why can't it just work? And it's this weird stuff that emotion, emotions come out in the strangest ways, you know? So mm -hmm. I think you have to recognize, I, I think there's power in seeing emotions for what they are as guides. Um, and that if you affirmed every feeling as being useful in some way, I, I have to caveat this. It's not always useful to express your emotion. Um, like in schools, like if like I, I work a lot with kids, I'm like, your emotions are fine. How we express them, what's appropriate in this setting, right? So mm -hmm. you destroying something or yelling at someone else or physically hurting someone is not an okay way to express this emotion in this environment. So sometimes we have to talk about the feelings are okay. And then how do you express them in ways that are appropriate to your environment and things that won't get you in trouble? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and I feel like it's almost full circle what what you just touched on of all this content that kind of got overlooked in your EQ article, right? Um, and when we focused in on that that small little list, um, but we can use your your info and resources to respond to the SLPs that are having this reaction to that list being frustrating or angry making them angry or why you know why would I want to go cry in my car every day or oversimplified um so I think full circle is it really does give us a lot of strategies and ideas that we can use to say why why did this make me upset and what do I personally need for self-care and what do the SLPs that I know need for self-care Yes, and how do we advocate for your profession, right? So for, mm -hmm. for the stress that's not going to go away, no matter what you do for self-care. Yep. And if that is thinking about like how caseloads work, right? How reporting works, um, how many kids you have to see in a day, how paperwork's done, whatever. There's some systematic things that I feel from your membership could be addressed on a 
kind of a more national level about how SLPs in schools are treated. Um, and, and I think you guys are the best to have that conversation because you know, but I hope feeling empowered to be like, we deserve to talk about this. Um, it needs to be talked about. There is such a visceral response that it's right there on the surface. And mm -hmm. also, I think to me, one of the things I always say is your suffering does not lead to better outcomes for anybody. And I don't want anybody to be suffering. And I think you have to think about this systematically. What can I do personally and professionally? And how do I, how do I work with both? Because you can't keep working on yourself in an environment that will never yield, right? Or you can't keep showing up in an environment the same way and expecting different results from it. Um, and I also think like having not only empathy for yourself, but also giving yourself permission to be like, I might need to do this in a different way. Um, I might need to, to slow down in order to be more effective. I might need to think differently uh, or communicate with someone in a different way to make the situation better. It might be on me to to change the environment. We always want people to change or the environment to change, but we don't want to change, you know? And so I think in, the, in this example, there's a great opportunity for, for people in the field to reflect on their own role in terms of self-care and how they use their EQ, and then also work with ASHA and other leadership organizations to talk about how you can make systematic change in your field. Mm -hmm. And I think probably similar to counseling, a lot of that happens. We discussed this on our podcast at the state level is, you know, mm -hmm. advocating with your state licensure board and advocating with policies in your school district and as well at the state level for caseloads and um, caps on caseloads and supports yes. for hiring extra SLPs and, you know, what are oh, those needs? Definitely. And it's very similar in counseling. And that's why I feel so, um, such a kindred sisterhood to the SLP world, because uh -huh. I feel like we do different things with kids, but we speak the same language in terms of like, how we care for people, what our caseloads look like, how intense it can be. And not only, I feel, I not only deal with children, I deal with the families, with the schools, with the teachers, with the institutions that work with them, that in a way that it's not just me um, trying to impact a kid, it's, it's my impact on the system and the community and the family through my work with that child. And I think it has a broader reach than me just trying to figure out stuff at my school. Like you said, the state level, the national level, how, and also, how I use my voice as a therapist is to, to increase respect for my field and knowledge of like, hey, here's what I actually do. I do not just play with kids all day and I do not just enjoy my summers off. My job is important, it's, it's needed, I'm a professional and I, I'm not gonna even ask for your respect. I'm gonna do my job in such a way that I'll, I'll earn it because I'm gonna show you, I'm gonna get big and show you what, what I do. The peacock, yes. Peacock all the way, baby. <laughs> well, um, I know that when we chatted earlier, you also explained how um, you had a chance and, and really took the time, I would say, to, to respond personally to all the um, readers of the Asha Leader who reached out to you via email. And I appreciate you responding to me and I hope that everyone else enjoyed those responses. But if someone does want to get in touch with you or find out more about getting big and the peacock, um, where can they find your info? Sure, they can go to www.knutsonspeaks.com and it's spelled K-N-U-T-S-O-N speaks.com. And uh, I especially like for people to click on self-care beyond the bubble bath <laughs> to see. Yeah. Uh, I, have my, I have all my presentations on there and uh, they can get in touch with me through the contact page. And um, I really do enjoy hearing from people and I would like to uh, support and help and um, encourage in any way that um, I can. And I, I appreciate the time too to help so that people could hear my voice and 
my philosophy and what I want to put out in the world. And again, just show my utmost respect for what you do in the world and have a chance to talk about what self-care and self-regulation in my mind really look like. Yes. Well, and I mean, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us and, um, and to, to really give your voice to it because uh, as speech pathologists, we should know, right? Things come across differently in print versus verbally versus on a podcast versus in a letter or an email. So um, trying to, you know, see, take a different perspective and um, see where somebody's coming from and learn from each other is the best thing we can do. So thank you so much for your time. And for those listening, again, that was Carrie Knutson, a counselor out of Denver. And uh, she has her company called Knutson Speaks. You can find out more online. Welcome back to Speech Science. I'm Matt Hot, joined as always I was going to say on the far west coast, but really, you're not that much farther west than I am, Michelle Wintering. I am directly south of you. I was going to say, is <laughs> Louisville, is it a little west? I'm not even in Louisville either, so I'm, I'm directly south of you. Fort Knox. Oh, yeah. Uh, Fort Knox. That's right. Yep. Are you on the east side or the west side of 75? <laughs> This is getting very specific. I'm just trying to be right. That's all I'm trying to do. And all the way. I'll post a map for you, Matt. The far eastern person of all this group, Michael McLeod. What's up, buddy? Michael, yours is easy because you're you're east of me. If I look on a map, my right hand is where Philadelphia is. So that's why I know you're east. Oh, look at that. Philadelphia. Do you guys ever have to do that still, by the way? I haven't done the right hand, left hand. I don't know what that (laughs) trick is. Teach me your ways. No, where you're like, all right, the sun rises. If I look north, it's my right hand, so that's east. No, I, I do rises in the east, sets in the west. That's oh, fair enough. That's my. So, the another new segment that we're going to do, and we are not in any way, shape, or form being paid by Asha. Uh, we will be the first to knock Asha when they do something wrong. But Mike, you had this wonderful idea. And it's to recognize when Asha does something good, right? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think uh, with this wonderful presence of SLPs on social media and Facebook, uh, a lot of times we can really bond over some of the complaints and some of the tough things we go through. Uh, I think with all of the fees with the conference and all of the the paying your dues, I think it's very very easy to kind of uh, to bash Asha, and ninety nine percent of what you see about Asha is negative. So there has to be some positivity going on. We, we're certainly giving them uh, plenty of funding. So I think I think it's good for us to know uh, what 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 are they doing with all of this all of this funding because uh, we don't really seem to hear any positives ever. So if there is some positivity going on, we should spread the word. And I figured we would start off with uh, Ash's call for the 2020. Uh, Asha Award. So it's time to nominate your colleagues uh, for the 2020 awards. The presentation will be at the 2020 Asha Convention, which is in beautiful San Diego, California, November 19th through November 21st. I want to go just because I've never been to California. Uh, but the awards are due by, or I'm sorry, nominations are due by March 27th. Uh, we'll have a link in the show description. But basically, they've got the honors of the association, uh, its distinguished contributions, a lifetime of innovative clinical practice. They got the fellowship of the association, certificate of recognition, outstanding service award, uh, a couple different certificates of recognitions, I should say. Um, and, you know, I mean, there's a whole list of these. 
I know a couple people that I actually would not mind uh, nominating for certificate of recognition. Yeah, I think this is definitely uh, a or really distinguished service. I should say. Yeah, this is definitely Sorry. a really a really great thing Asha is doing to to recognize you know sort of like we're doing with the everyday SLP and giving giving shout outs. Uh, I think it's really nice that that Asha is uh, doing this in terms of uh, uh, really celebrating some of the SLPs out there and and their services and what they're doing to to stand out and to serve the community. I think this is something that we should definitely be uh, be paying attention to in terms of uh, our full SLP community. I am leveling a challenge to the three of us. And even if it's not a great one, I think we should still do it. And I think we all need to come up with somebody to nominate for something mm-hmm. and, and lead list. by example. Yep. Okay. I think I can do that. I've got a couple names in mind, so... Well, I'm even thinking about this. It says Outstanding Service Award recognizes exemplary service by an individual group on behalf of the association in two of the three areas, administration, program development, or service to members. I know a couple people that I've worked with through the Asha Seal side that I've always said, wow, they do awesome stuff. I, sh- you know, this is where I can can nominate somebody. Yeah. So. I think so. I think cool. this is a great list and. I mean, I've been to ASHA only twice now, and I see when they give out awards at the award ceremony. I know a couple of these are at that, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, or maybe all of them. <laughs> but I, I never knew how to nominate. That's I'm sure a lot of SLPs are probably like me. You didn't see this list, or you see the, the email in passing when you're clearing out your inbox, but here's a chance. Look through it. Send in a name. And I think the honors of the association, is that the Annie Glenn Award as well? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, the lifetime. That's pretty cool. It went into space uh, last year. Cool. Yeah, pretty cool. Oh, my new favorite segment, by the way, is this next part that we're going to do. We're going to end the show with a, quote, hot take. I did not name it, even though my name is now attached to it. Two Ts. Uh, Mike, I blame you. And Michelle, I blame you just as much for agreeing that it should be called the hot take. It's actually called Matt's Hot Take. No, it's for all of us. But basically, where one of us will take an opinion and just kind of rant on it for about 30 seconds, and I will take the first one. And basically, the hot take of this episode is that we need to be nicer to each other on social media. We teach our kids to be social media savants. We tell our you know our students to be nice to each other in person. We tell them that what they can say on social media can hurt and etc. And I think that in our Facebook groups, we have a tendency to forget that we are all professionals and that sometimes we may post something that is not worded a hundred percent right. And instead of jumping on somebody, uh, we should be nicer to each other. I know that sounds really hippy dippy, but we're all trying out there as professionals and social media especially in uh, speech therapy groups, we should be more understanding and willing to engage. And the moment that you throw knives at each other, I feel that it shuts down conversation instead of having conversation. I feel like this is our lesson in perspective taking as speech pathologists. What? Hey, remember that even across a computer screen, we teach our kids this, we teach our clients this, Mm -hmm. there is a person over there and what is their response? How does that make them feel? What is their perspective? 
Now, if they're a complete jerk, feel free to yell at them, but wait until you find out if they're a jerk or if they just worded something very incorrectly. Yeah, the uh, <laughs> I, I'm always really commended the the SLP Facebook presence and uh, just really really what we have is just overall strength in numbers and we're we're really we're, we're really able to uh, help each other through some of the trials, hardships, and stress and burnout of this field. And we've really bonded. I've bonded through people I've never met before on Facebook. Oh, for sure. Over the over some of the negativity, and, and people can really bond over shared negative experiences. Uh, and I think it's great. I think it's great when we when we all come together and uh, support each other and and share stories and be vulnerable and all those things. Uh, but if we're jumping on each other and being negative towards each other instead of you know hardships mm -hmm. experienced. I think that's when uh, I think that's when the negativity of social media really comes in, and uh, always hate to see that. All right, so let's move on. Let's look onto something positive in thirty seconds or less. Michael, what are you doing next week that is fun and/or exciting that we should look forward to? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, I have a couple of uh, presentations at uh, some schools Ooh. coming up. A couple of follow-up presentations. Uh, so I went and did a, a presentation at the school, kind of trained the staff on some of the work I do. So I'm going to have to go back and uh, do a follow up with them to kind of make, make sure that, you know, to make it more personalized for them instead of just the overarching education. So kind of just prepping for those sorts of things. I love it. Michelle? Uh, well, it's not speech related, but I have, yeah, a, have uh, one of my best friends and roommates from college. I know a lot of people keep in touch, close relationships with those old roommates, um, is expecting a baby girl and we are all getting together to celebrate that. So if you have ideas for, I'm sure you guys will help me out with this, but I'm going to say our listeners, <laughs> if they have ideas <laughs> for diaper cakes, send them my way. Cause I'm making Ooh. one. Nice. I tried to eat a diaper cake once. Not so good. It's very clearly diapers, Matt. Come I on. know, but I was hungry. Um, <laughs> for me, I am, uh, you know what? I'm actually enjoying the end of my season as a coach this year. Uh, we've got a couple weeks left, so I'm going to cheat. But it's kind of a weird moment near the end of the season because you're starting to see the kids really start to succeed. And it's just wonderful kind of to watch. Um, I coach high school bowling. And, you know, some of the kids that struggle at the beginning of the year are really starting to grow as either leaders or rollers. And that's what I'm looking forward to this week. I like it. Yeah, We want to hear from you at home, however. Head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com. You can email us, speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. Give us a phone call, 614-681-1798. All over the social medias, you can interact with Michael or Michelle. It's hashtag SSPod. And for the cost of a cup of coffee each month, head over to patreon.com slash speech science podcast. If you like us, donate that. It'll help us keep us on air. Our opening music tonight is Please Listen Carefully by Jazar. It's licensed under an attribution and share alike license. Our belt music is the County Fair Rock copyright. County Fair Rock, copyright of John Deku. Find all of his music at soundcloud.com slash dirtdogmusic. And the closing music, Slow Burn by Kevin McLeod, is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license. In the immortal words of Janice Wright, always be a willow. The oak looks strong, but it will crack under the first signs of pressure. The willow will bend and return to form. For Michael McLeod and Michelle Wintering, I'm Matt Hot. Until next week, so long, everybody. That was awesome.
This has been an Exceptional Podcast Network production. Speech Science is edited and produced by MWH Production. Please follow Speech Science on Twitter at SpeechSciencePC and like our page on Facebook. For more original podcasts, please visit ExceptionalEd.com and rate and subscribe to our podcast anywhere you get your podcasts.